Hello, I'm Shelly Till. Welcome to the Too Much Grit to Quit podcast, where I speak to some of the greatest athletic minds about overcoming adversity and building your grit muscle. Joining me is Trey Moses. Trey played college basketball at Ball State University. He is currently overseas playing professionally in Portugal, and he was also the 2020 recipient of the NCAA's Inspiration Award. Trey, great to see you. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I know we have quite the time difference, so I think you're (laughs) in the afternoon right now in Portugal and getting ready to head out to practice, but... I know I want to start with, um, first of all, you and I know each other through um, at least the first time we we met on a screen (laughs) was when we both uh, were speakers for the Athletes in Action um, Captains Conference, which had to go virtually. I think we did that in April or May. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I was just so moved by your story and your mission and your purpose and obviously, so is the NCAA, as you were the 2020 Inspiration Award recipient. But before we um, kind of get into that story, Trey, I just want you to update everybody and the listeners on where you are right now and um, what you're doing in your career. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm in my second year professionally in basketball. Uh, last year, I was in Bulgaria. Um, and then I had went to Australia earlier this year and then got sent home because of COVID. Um, but I'm currently in Portugal, um, just, uh, we're, we kind of reached the halfway point of our season. So, uh, it's gone all right. I've played solid, uh, myself. And then as a team, we're kind of in a little bit of a slump, but we're looking to turn it around. Uh, we play tomorrow. Um, but, uh, recently we, um, you know, with the help of my agent, we kind of, are now pushing towards uh, getting into speaking to teams um, and kind of the uh, motivational speaking side of stuff. So I've gotten the chance to talk to three uh, Division One teams so far in the last you know month, month and a half. So that's kind of the stuff I really, really enjoy doing, along with um, you know teaching um, and then obviously basketball. And talk about your what is your platform. When you when you're getting into motiv- motivational speaking, what is the kind of the general message or or in purpose that you wanted to pursue that? I really want to end the stigma of mental health um, in general, but especially inside of males, uh, male athletes, and then men of color. Um, so just kind of talking to uh, different teams, uh, depending on you know whether it's men's or women's, or whether I'm talking to kids, but just talking to them and my main message is it's okay not to be okay. Um, and trying to get teams to appreciate where they are with who they are and the time that they have with the people, because you just never know, you know, kind of when something, you know, could happen. Mm -hmm. Um, and you don't want it to be something happened and then you regret not being on good terms with someone. So if you love people, then, then you you need to love and cherish them while they're still here. And I know that your mission is, is very personal to you because of experiences that you've had. So um, just if you could share where that, that came from and why you feel so moved to spread and share that message. 
Yeah. So for me, um, I started dealing with mental health from a young age. Uh, I was about 12 or 13. Um, and so I remember just having suicidal thoughts and it was crazy just because I, I had everything. Like I was at a good school on the basketball team. Like I had good friends, good family. Um, but it was like, I was still struggling inside. Um, and then as I got older and into high school, like I started self-harming and, and still not, no one knew. Um, and so it was tough just feeling like I was living this double life of, you know, I don't really like the, the word popular, but a popular athlete and um, someone who had friends and someone who got along with everyone. And, but then I had this side of me that was dealing with not wanting to be alive on the inside. And so it was tough to, to feel like living, like I'm living this double life. Um, and then once I got to college, I actually, um, I, I tried to take my own life and, you know, it, it's tough. I mean, I still struggle with mental health even to today, but you know, it's tough feeling alone in situations, even when you're surrounded by so many great people. And for me, it's, um, you know, it's not anything that specifically happened, but, you know, having a chemical imbalance and, you know, I was diagnosed as having severe depression. And so it's like, it took from the time I was 13 to the time I was 19 or 20 to realize that what I was going through wasn't like because of me, like I blame myself for everything. Like, oh, it's my fault. I'm sad. It's my fault that I'm crying over, or getting upset over a little thing. But like, it's it's something on the inside that isn't <laughs> determined by me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was kind of tough dealing with everything. And then it took so long for me to finally like, wow, like, okay, that's what depression is because I had no idea mental health wasn't talked about as I was growing up. Um, you know, it's kind of being talked about more now in schools, but it wasn't talked about, you know, in elementary, not elementary, but in middle school, high school, as I was, you know, going through what I was going through. So I literally had no idea. I just knew I was sad all the time. Um, and then once, you know, like I said, once I got to college, um, I kind of got into counseling, got on medication. And so things were, you know, getting a little better. I had a great support staff, um, you know, trainers, coaches, uh, student advisor. So I had a great circle around me and, and people that really just genuinely cared about me as a person. Um, that's one thing I give coach Witt, my college coach, a lot of credit for is that he cared more about our development off the court more than on the court. And I think that's the only thing that really matters as, as a player wanting to go play for a coach is do you, do you know that they have your back off the court? off the field or whatever sport you play um and so then moving forward my sophomore year I met um we had a a freshman that year named Zach Hollywood um we shared similar interests we were both um you know both big in the community of those with special needs like we both listened to the same music like we've had the same sense of humor like we had so many things in common and it, it really connected us and that summer, his first summer, on, his first weekend on campus, actually, I had um, a camp back home. I run camps for uh, individuals with dif- with Down syndrome. So I've run camps for different Down syndrome organizations. And so he actually like came back home with me 
Um, and it was like the weekend that really like connected us. Like we became best friends and brothers after that weekend. Like my mom loved him. Like everyone, everyone loved him and we had so much fun. And so, you know, we spent, he redshirted that year, but we spent that whole year together just having fun. Um, and then that next summer, well, sorry, I didn't mean to skip, but that May after season, I had, um, I had, that's when I had tried to take my life. And I remember, um, you know, talking to him after, and he was like, man, like, why didn't you tell me? Like, you could have called me. Mm-hmm. I was just like, I don't know, man. Like, I, I don't know. I really just didn't know. Um, but that summer, you know, sorry. Oh, go ahead. That's okay. I just want to, I want to dive a little deeper into that part. Cause that's, it's obviously very significant. Um, and I know, and I, we will talk, get into Zach's story, but can you go take us back to the time when you just said, when you tried to take your own life in May, what, you know, as you look back on it now, what was going through your mind? What were the thoughts um, that you were having that led you to that dark um, place where you felt like you had no other option? I feel like a big thing in athletics is you go through the season and you have the high of the season. Like you have the next practice, the next game, like you're always ready for what's next. And then after the season, it's like, what do I do now? Like you go from the ability to have up to 20 hours of practice every week because you're in season to now having the ability of only having eight, hours of practice per week and so it's like what do I do with my free time and at the time like I had all these loves outside of basketball but it was like I don't know that I had any other hobbies to to really fall in love with and so I think that after that high of basketball I didn't know who I was outside of basketball and after already dealing with what I was dealing with and even throughout the season feeling alone or feeling whatever I was feeling, I think that I just had a, a, a moment where I was like, man, like, I just, I feel like I'm better off just not here. And so I think that moment took over more than anything else and feeling like I'm just a basketball player. Like in my existence doesn't matter anything more than just that. And so I would probably say that was like the moment for me where that darkness like really, really took over. You hit on a couple things there that I think are really important to dive into a little bit more. Number one is the concept of identity. And I think you are so not alone. I would say the vast majority, if not almost all athletes identify with their sport, with who they are when they put on that jersey Uh, when they're on that court or on that field. And also um, the, the fact that once the season ended, it, it is a letdown. It's a lull. I mean, I've, I've been there too. It's like, you know, you can finally kind of, it's kind of like you can finally breathe, but then you're like, what do I do with myself? I don't mean to interrupt, but like uh, athletes in action, we had talked about a little bit before, but we got to FaceTime Kevin Durant when I did, um, captain's academy going into my senior year and i asked him like what do you love outside of basketball and he was like i'm 31 years old and i still don't know Mm -hmm. and so it's like no offense to him but it's like i don't want to be 31 years old because i know i probably won't be a 34 million dollar millionaire like he is and have the ability to go 
do whatever he wants. I'm realistically like, I know myself, like I'm not going to make that much money in my lifetime. So he's got the luxury of that. But just hearing him say that he didn't know what he loved outside of basketball, like that, it, it really stuck with me because mm-hmm. he, he sat there like, man, like I, I really just don't know. That's, that's amazing. And it also speaks to the fact that the, the second part of what I was going to say to that is when, when it's taken away and, and I don't know about you, but for me and probably a lot, I know for a lot, cause I've talked to so many athletes about this. We use our sport as our management, as our, as our mental health coping mechanisms, we can dive into sports. We can dive into our workouts or get on the court and just kind of, uh, wipe away the chaos. It's, it's kind of like our therapy. Did you find that to be true for you? No, I definitely agree with that. Um, I think it's, it's a pro and a con simply because, you know, it's a pro because you have the, the kind of, um, ability to go to something but sport can be so easily taken away with injury or with, you know, you could wake up and just one day be like, is this really like what I want? Do I really love the game as much as I once thought I did? And, and you have to have the ability to find love and passion and stuff that can't be taken away. So for me, it's my ability to help people like that. That'll never be taken away unless I pass away. Like I, my kindness to others, my ability to check on other people, like that's all internal. That's all me having the ability to do it. And Trey, what have you seen and heard and experienced yourself in speaking of taking it away? We are in just an unprecedented time with this COVID-19 pandemic. And so it has caused a major upheaval across the world, but I'm in specifically in, in college and professional athletes. I mean, y'all have had to just take it day by day. Uh, my son is currently playing his final season in division one basketball and his team has just found out they got shut down for two weeks because of a positive case. You've got football teams who have uh, been shut down I know the University of Iowa can't play in their bowl game because the opposing team has COVID cases. You know, it's just one, every day you wake up, I've talked to NFL players who, and, uh, and interviewed people who said, you know, you wake up every day checking your phone to see, has anyone tested positive today? And are we shut down? And what's going to happen? And it's isolation. And you've got teams who are stuck in hotels and can't get, can't get out and even congregate with each other. That is major, uh, you know, disruption to our nervous system and taking away the thing that we're just talking about, how, how we use, some people use that sport to just be our steady and be our, our therapy. So what have you experienced and what have you heard in terms of the impact that the pandemic has had on athletes and consequently their mental health? You know, especially early on when there was talks of not having seasons, I know a lot of guys were much more bummed and much more um, feeling like things aren't going to be okay. Um, And I know, I mean, uh, even for me, like I was the same way, like I had just gotten back from Australia, like just got sent home and it was like, wow, like I was super excited about Australia. 
you know, dream place for me to, to play and live. And so for my season to not even like literally two days after I got there, our season was canceled. And so it was like, dang, like this isn't even fair. Like, what am I supposed to do? And so, you know, now it's preparing, you know, I look at a team uh, in Alabama state who has a division one basketball, who hasn't even played a game yet. Their three, four games have been canceled. And so it's as an athlete, when you don't know what's going to come, you start to, you start to deal with a little bit of anxiety. And so you may see more anxiety in people that have never dealt with anxiety before. And you start seeing um, a little bit of hopelessness, hopelessness, a little bit of depression and people that have never had signs of this stuff because they're forced to stay inside or they're forced to, like you said, uh, sit out for two weeks because of a positive case. And it's like, well, what am I supposed to do supposed to do now? So now you're forcing guys to to be alone or be with not that this is bad, but just be with their families if they're in the professional realm. And it's, you know, who what are you going to do outside of basketball? What outside of football? Outside of all this stuff when you're stuck in the house. And so what I've seen is a lot of guys, especially more my age, is they are struggling. And, and coaches are doing a good job of staying connected, having team Zoom calls or having speakers um, come in and talk to their guys and, and give a little bit of motivation, um, give a little pep, to- pep talk. But outside of that, it's it's really been tough for guys. And I know coaches are feeling it and coaches are, are doing their best, but I just know it's been tough. So let's... Um... I guess my, my question before we get back to, to, I want to finish your story with about Zach, but um, what would you say to people who are listening to this? Because I think the first thing to come to mind from a lot of people, again, in the athletic world is suck it up. I hate that phrase. I hate suck it up. And you know, the, the mental toughness, I don't even like the word mental toughness because to me, what's the opposite of mental toughness? It's weakness. And I think, when you don't feel like you're mentally tough, then you automatically as an athlete go to, well, I must be weak. Or, you know, when you've got coaches and and leaders, maybe sometimes even teammates saying, okay, it is what it is. Suck it up. Why does suck it up not work? I think just in general, you're telling people that their feelings don't matter. Mm -hmm. If you're telling them just to suck it up, just to put it aside, just to whatever their feelings don't matter. And that goes with your everyday relationships. If you're as a parent, if you're telling your kids to just suck it up, then they're going to grow up telling their friends to suck it up. And they're going to end up growing up to tell their spouse to just suck it up. And it's a never ending cycle of just suck it up. Um, So not that it starts with parents, but I think it does start with parents a little bit in allowing your kids to cry, allowing your kids to be upset, but not just telling like not just telling them to cry, but talk to them about why they feel a certain way. So then they're able to um, communicate their emotions. And so for me as as a preschool teacher, that's what I do with my you know kids back home is you know they're crying. I'm you know I'm gonna let you cry, but I want to talk about why you feel the way you do. Mm-hmm. And so then it not only works on communications, but it it gets gets them thinking of okay, why do I feel this way? But if I were to just tell them to suck it up, they're like, now they're just going to keep crying, but then they're going to feel like, okay, now my teachers don't care about me. But when as a coach or as a player, you, and you're, you're kind of told that 
you're going to be like, okay, maybe my coach doesn't, doesn't care about me if he's just going to tell me to suck it up. So now maybe I'm not going to play as hard or I'm not going to do such and such. But if you have a coach that, you know, cares about you, you're going to put it all on the line for that coach. If you'd like to take a deeper dive into peak performance training, then I invite you to check out my collaboration with Dr. David Kruger, executive mentor coach and CEO of MentorPath, an executive coaching, training, publishing, and wellness firm who guides performing professionals to achieve and sustain peak performance. If you want to play to win, it requires answering these two questions. One, how can preparation, practice, and performance be developed and applied to consistently generate optimum performance? And two, how can coaches and players individually and collectively achieve and sustain elite performance success? The three peak performance playbooks and seven webinars offer practical guidance for both coaches and players to systematically apply mind, brain, and performance sciences to achieve and sustain optimum success. To sign up for alerts about the upcoming launch schedule, please go to my website, ShellyTill.com, and there you can click on courses and then peak performance. So you were you were to the point of your story where um, you were having a conversation and, and your friend Zach said to you, why didn't you call me? Take us through what happened after that. Yeah. So it was, um, you know, and I was just like, I don't know. And I, I just genuinely didn't know why I didn't call him. Um, but that summer we were both excited for him to have the opportunity to play that next season. We were going to get to play together. We were in the same lifting group, same shooting group. So we were working out constantly together, hanging out outside of basketball, um, coming in, you know, with each other and, 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 get working out. Um, but August 21st is my birthday. So I had, you know, I had people over, I had my friends over and, and whatnot. And, you know, he was one of the ones over and I know he had been going through some stuff recently. Um, I know that he was dealing with some stuff inside, but I looked at him and I was like, wow, like this is the happiest I've ever seen him. Like he looked so happy. He looked like he was turning a corner. And it was one of those things where I was like, this is good. Like the, the, out of everything for my birthday, like that's what I remember most was seeing, looking over and seeing him just smiling and having fun and laughing. And it seems so genuine where, you know, you can look at some people and, and can tell they're putting on a front or trying to hide what they're going through or not as happy as they're coming off. But I looked at him that night as genuinely happy. <clears throat> And so, um, you know, he left about one fifteen. He said, bye, I love you, hug me. Um, and then I went to sleep shortly after. And then I woke up the next morning. Um, I wasn't the best about, <laughs> I always went to class, but I wasn't the best about getting up on time. So I usually got up at like about 15 minutes before and then rushed to get to class. Um, but I had woken up to like four missed calls and two voicemails from him. Um, I hadn't like listened to the voicemails cause I had back to that class, but I was texting him. Um, I didn't know if he had class, but we had our first team meeting that day at 1 PM. Um, and after my second class, it was 1150. I was walking back to the arena. I still hadn't heard from him. Um, I was still texting him and stuff, but you know, I called him a couple of times and still no answer. I was, I had ran into his, um, roommate who's also our teammate. And I said, you know, Hey, can you take me over there to check on him? 
And, uh, you know, we went over there, I walked in his room and he was laying on the floor and he had um, shot himself in the chest. And, um, you know, as I look back, you know, I, I always say this, but I look back now and it's going to kind of sound bad, but I'm glad it was me and, and no one else because like, I know what I've seen since then. I, and, and like, I can still vividly remember everything from that scene. I know what I felt like I, I know everything. And so I'm glad it was me solely because I know everything I've gone through and I wouldn't want to put anyone else in that situation. That I, I can't even fathom <clears throat> what that felt like for you. And given, you know, the fact that you had been in that, that mindset or that space mentally, not just a few months before that, um, how did you, how did you process that? Like literally what were the steps that, that you went through to, to process that? Um, I give a lot of credit to coach Witt. Um, you know, obviously like I called the police and had to deal with, with, um, you know, checking his pulse and stuff, making sure he's alive. They took uh, me, his other roommate, and then our, t- our, our other teammate who's also his roommate uh, to the police station to talk to us a little bit. Um, but the second that me and Kyle, my teammate, um, got out of the police station, uh, you know, we went back to the, to the team and they had already told them and everyone was crying. Um, everyone was in groups talking to crisis counselors. Um, and I remember that we just stood in the middle and hugged for about 10 minutes straight. It seemed like it was the longest hug of my, I, it might not even have been 10 minutes, but it seemed like the longest hug of my life. And we were all just huddled up. And the fact that we had crisis counselors, they probably had them there less than five minutes after finding out they, we had, um, a sports psychologist who works with the Packers who works with, uh, the Pacers. He came in, we met for, uh, like once a month, twice a month for over the next three, four months. Um, you know, I got back into counseling and, um, who she's an amazing woman. Uh, we, we were together two years, um, after my incidents with Zach, like we literally both cried saying goodbye because, uh, she had helped me that much. Um, but the process wasn't easy. Um, you know, two weeks after like walking on campus, seeing everyone just smiling and whatnot. And I'm just like, like how like how are you guys happy like how and then just understanding the process of grieving and that different people grieve in different ways and it's not my responsibility or it's not even my right to judge how other people grieve um knowing that you know teammates that had known zach for three months weren't as sad as me or as sad as the other guys that had known him for the two years that he had been there, a year that he had been there. Um, and so it wasn't fair for me to judge the incoming freshmen or the, or the transfers that didn't really know Zach or had barely known him. Like, obviously they, they were upset, but they weren't as impacted maybe as, as some of the older guys who had been there with Zach for the longer time. But that was a process in itself. Um, you know, just dealing with, um, the mental side of things of my own mental health, uh, as, as far as that goes and, you know, dealing with the nightmares and 
dealing with the visions of seeing everything. Um, you know, it was tough, but, you know, I give a lot of credit to coach Witt. you know, he probably called me every single day, uh, for the longest time that he just to check up, just to see how things were. And, you know, he even said, if I ever get annoying, you can just tell me, but you know, I'm not gonna let you go through this alone. And I'm sure he was like that with that, with all of our guys. That's incredible. Um, and it speaks to the next thing that I wanted to uh, ask you about is the impact that a coach can have on athletes. And obviously he was vital for you to process and to heal from that incident um, and that tragedy and that trauma, because it's a trauma. What would you say uh, now, though, knowing what you know, Trey, what would you say to coaches as to what can they do in terms of their role in their athletes' lives to, to take it from responding to trauma to maybe trying to get into a position where they can impact the people around them? Not saying <clears throat> that it's in anyone's job or, or role that there's any blame there, but what can a coach do? especially in these times that we're living in right now to help uh, the mental, uh, the mental and emotional wellness of their athletes. You know, I got the privilege of talking um, at the final four last year to coaches about mental health and players. And uh, there was two big things. The first is to understand um, as a coach, you have to understand that athletes, especially student athletes have lives outside of basketball like yes, or outside of sport in general. Yes, like they're there to play that sport, but we also have 12 to 20 credit hours of class that we're trying to take. And some people are in tougher majors and some people have relationships and some people are dealing with loss and family. And um, some people come from low income you know, and, and have people back home that are struggling and we're worried about the people back. like we have stuff outside of sport. And so to understand that, not even in a sense of, you know, being giving grace when it's needed, but trying to understand your players and why they are the way they are. Why are they, why are they a little shut off? Why are they such like, then it goes into my next thing and is having those, weekly monthly meetings where it's just you and such and such just sitting down and talking like you can check in every day like that's meaningful and that that matters but having those tough conversations with your players where it's just you and the player talking about the different things in life and you trying to be transparent with them um, and, and you genuinely being open with them as well. Like you want your players to be open with you, but you have to be open with them and you got to be open and honest and it's important. Yeah. That mutual trust is so, so important. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, what would you say uh, right now, Trey, to an athlete who might be listening to this, who's, who may be struggling and is really feeling isolated, um, feeling like, they're not comfortable maybe talking to their coach or talking to someone. Uh, what advice would you give to them in terms of trying to, you know, if they're struggling in dealing with anything from a mental and emotional standpoint? Um, the first thing I would say is it's okay not to be okay. Um, the second would be the strongest thing you could do 
is to admit you're not okay. Um, a lot of people think that it's actually the opposite in saying that you're not okay is weak. But I really think that communicating that you need help is the strongest thing you could do. Um, and it's not even saying like, I need to go see Calum, but it's just maybe telling a coach like, hey coach, like I'm really going through some stuff or telling someone you trust like, hey, I'm really going through some stuff and being able to talk and communicate about what you're going through. Um, and then, you know, those are kind of the two big things. Um, and third, I would just say is, if you're not understanding what you're going through, maybe try to understand what you're going through, why you feel the way you do. Um, when you understand yourself and you're able to, to communicate kind of what you're going through, it makes it easier um, to get for, for others to get the help that they feel is best for you, um, for your success on and off the court. What about, and I'm, I'm curious if this ever happened to you, because I think that this happens more than we, than we are, than people are aware, or it's, it's one of the, the reasons why people don't do what you just said. And that is the stigma of asking for help and being rejected or being ignored or being looked at like, you, there's something wrong with you or you're broken or you are weak. And I know, you know, that that is on the other person and that's their inability to emotionally handle the situation. But that's a big reason I think that a lot of people hesitate to ask for help is because of the fear of that kind of reaction. Uh, you know, I agree. I think um, especially like early on when I was kind of more of a mental health advocate and kind of just slightly telling what I was going through. This is before Zach, but just slightly telling what I was going through in terms of uh, my own mental health stuff. You still had people saying stuff. Um, and then when you had guys like Kevin Love, DeMar DeRozan come out and you go and look through the comment section on their Twitter and it's like, how are you sad? Like you have all this money, you have all this success, blah, blah, blah. You have all this stuff, but it's like, you're still dealing with stuff. Um, and it's like you said, it's their inability to understand. Um, I was blessed that the first two people I told were um, my trainer and my student advisor, like Coach Whit knew nothing. And I remember one day just crying in the locker in the training room. And and uh, my trainer, Troy, was just like, I think it's time to tell Coach Whit. I think he's going to be understanding. And so that was the first time I told him. And he was just like, you know, just take today off. I'll tell the guys you're sick. Um, you know, kind of when you're ready to talk about it with them, you can, but until then, like, we'll, we'll get you the help you need. And I know not everyone has been, you know, lucky enough to have that same situation. Um, but to those that were, weren't lucky to have that situation and were given kind of backlash, there's some, there's someone out there who's going to be more receptive than that person. There's, you know, there's going to be people that there's people that care. Mm -hmm. who genuinely want you happy outside of sport and so kind of understanding that not everyone not that being receptive is evil but there's not there's there's good people in this world and there's good people that care about others more than themselves what role has your faith played through this journey uh, you know, it's played a big role um, early on in my life. Like my grandfather's a pastor, so I was always in the church and then my dad moved away. So I wasn't in as much. And then, um, you know, after Zach, uh, we had a, I had a lot of ministries like uh, reach out to me 
it was just like, a, yeah, okay, like I'll meet with them, whatever, and then never meet. And then for some reason, this girl reached out. She was like, I have someone I think, you know, would be good for you. You should, you know, meet with them. And I was like, all right, like, and I did it. Um, and, I, you know, after Zach, like I was mad at God. Like it wasn't like I was mad and shunned him. Like I was mad. I was like, how, like, how dare you? Like, I need to know why you let this happen. And so because of that, like, it led me to asking tough questions and those tough questions learned or caused me to get tough answers. And it was something in which I was meeting, started meeting with him once a week. And now we're best friends. Like I was just at his wedding this summer. And so, um, you know, he helped me through so much and understanding what, um, you know, kind of what God has done and what God wants for us. And I was actually like baptized uh, that December, you know, however many months after August, December is, but I was baptized that, you know, that December. And, um, you know, obviously credit can go to a lot of different places, but I give a lot of credit to him for helping me through that journey. You mentioned asking tough questions and getting tough answers. Can you give me an example of that? You know, the biggest thing is like, it was how can he let me go through what I'm going through? How can he let me um, try to take my own life? How can he let me lose someone to take in their own life? And how can he let me find them? And the, the best answer I got was, you know, we have, um, we have the like freedom, like we have will to do kind of what we want. And, you know, that, 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 that Zach did, did that. And it's not that it's not what God wanted. Like, it's not that God wanted Zach to do that by any means, but sometimes the devil can uh, be in our, be in our head and our ear more than, more than God. And, um, you know, it's kind of tough to, to hear that. And, and, you know, and hearing that, um, you know, because a lot of times we see bad things and we question God, but we don't say thank you or question God when good stuff happens. Um, and so for me, it was understanding that, you know, sometimes the devil is working too. Um, and sometimes the devil, not that he's working harder than God, but can take over more than God can in certain people in certain situations. And so um, that was kind of the toughest thing for me was understanding that we have freedom of will and um, kind of that Zach um, kind of took that route. Before I let you go, um, I always ask everybody this because the podcast is called Too Much Grit to Quit. And I have my own definition of grit, but I'm curious when you hear that word in your life, what is, what does it mean to you? Um, you know, we had talked about a little bit before and that definition of toughness and, um, just putting your head down and just doing stuff that you may not want to do and, and figuring out ways to do stuff. Like that was kind of the word for my junior and senior year was just having grit, um, having toughness. So I would kind of, put grit and toughness in the same category and kind of combine those two together. Um, and that's kind of what it has meant to me. Not that I've, uh, you know, thought of the word since then, um, a ton, but, you know, coming on here beforehand, I didn't, I didn't really know kind of what to expect with the word grit. Um, but that's kind of my definition is kind of like toughness. 
Do you have, when you think of that word, um, besides yourself, who, who comes to mind? Who have you witnessed exemplifying grit? Um, I would say my mom, like my mom has been through a lot in her life and, um, you know, she's, I mean, just this year, she lost her mom, my grandmother. Um, she's been through just so much and there hasn't been a second that she has taken it out on me. There hasn't been a second, you know, I'm her only one, but she has done so much for me and she has always made sure that, um, I'm good. She's always made sure that, you know, together we're good. And, you know, even if we've had arguments or have had whatever it is that, you know, people have, like, it's always, she's never let anything get in the way of our relationship. And she always just puts her head down. She's always helping other people. And so I give her a lot of credit um, for everything in my life. So Trey, if people are interested in your, you know, your speaking and, and everything that you're doing, where can they find you and more information and even follow you? Cause I know you were doing a, your own podcasting on Instagram, going live there for a bit prior to playing basketball. So where can we uh, connect with you? Yeah. So um, I'm on Instagram at uh, Trey Moses 41. That's kind of my um, biggest platform and what I use most to c- kind of connect with people. I also started a foundation um, a year ago yesterday, um, 24 Reasons. And um, after Zach had passed away, I asked his um, family if I could wear the number 24 um, because he you know, really didn't get the chance to. Um, and so I wear that. Um, and so I came up with 24 Reasons to kind of that keep me going and so it's 24 different charities um that I think you know not only mean a lot to me but would have meant a lot to Zach as well and so uh 24 percent um of each order goes towards charity uh the 24 different charities um and so it's kind of something that means a lot to me but it's 24 underscore reasons on Instagram um and so it's in my bio on Instagram as well but um Kind of the, those are kind of two, two places to easily find me. Well, Trey, again, greatly appreciate you taking time out of your day. Um, I know you're super busy, but I think your message um, is just so powerful and so necessary, especially in this time that we're, that we are in. And so I so appreciate everything that you're doing and the answer. Uh, I think you've been called. Uh, this is a, a mission and a ministry for you. And um, I just, thank you as someone else who's in this business and in this space. It's so uh, refreshing (laughs) to be able to talk to someone who understands the importance of mental and emotional wellness, especially in the world of athletics. So I appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you so much. That's a wrap for this edition of too much grit to quit on blue wire hustle. I'm your host, Shelly Till. Please join me again the next time and make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform.